Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Lord, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you are the same God. We thank you that irregardless of what circumstance we face in life, Lord, you are present and you are here to lead and to guide us. Now, Lord, we ask in this moment that you will allow your voice to be heard amongst us by your word. Lord, we didn't come to hear any preacher We didn't come to hear the voice of any rhetorician. Lord, we need to hear from your word. So, Lord, it's my sincere prayer that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will grant me clarity of mind and concision of speech, that your voice may be heard clearly through your scriptures. Now may the seed of your word fall on the good ground of our ready hearts and bear much fruit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We believe this to be so. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Tyler, for that wonderful song. And thank you for that reminder of the faithfulness of our God. Crossroads Baptist Church, it's wonderful to be with you again. It's always a pleasure to get to pass through and spend time with you. It's wonderful to be with the men of Crossroads yesterday. It was truly a wonderful time in the Lord. And yes, I did get a little fiery at the conclusion. Uh, I will do my best to keep myself under control and have some, some sense of decorum this morning so you can feel good about the preacher who you brought into town. But I want to thank you all for the opportunity to share with you. Um, it is really a pleasure and an honor uh, to stand before you again and share from God's Word. And I want to thank my dear brother, uh, Pastor uh, Jack Eason, uh, for thinking enough of me um, to allow me to share in this space with you this morning. Okay, so... As it turns out, I have come in the midst of an emerging sermon series on the book of Jonah. And so my task has been laid before me, and I'm going to do my best um, to preach my way through the scripture um, that has been allotted me and to see what the Lord has to say to us today. We're in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 6. Jonah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. If I may make a small request, could we stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Those who are able, if you are not able, please feel free to hold your seat. But those who are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, reads as thus. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's holy word. Verse 4 reads, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, who had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down, was fast asleep. Verse 6 reads, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not 
perish. Amen? Amen. I'd like to tag the text this morning. Who's in your boat? Who's in your boat? You may be seated in the presence of our great and glorious God. There's a commercial. You may have seen it. It's on television. It pops around occasionally. You know they're always trying to get in our pockets and get us to be better consumers to spend more of our hard-earned money on something which will aid these corporations. Some of us at times are a little cash-strapped. Our liquidity is low, and therefore we have a wonderful gift called a credit card <laughs> where all of your dreams and wishes and hopes can come true for an interest rate and a monthly payment. Yes, some of us have encountered credit cards in our younger lives when we were told, don't worry about what your mom and your daddy say about saving. You don't have to do all that. You just need this magical piece of plastic and all of your visions of grandeur will come true. And some of us got those credit cards early on, ran up a bill, and we learned that mom and daddy were right because eight years later we were still paying for the same sofa that we threw away five years ago because it was cheap from the day we bought it. Uh, there's a certain commercial that's running for Capital One credit cards. Uh, you may know it because it features a popular actor, Samuel L. Jackson. There's usually a consumer that's in some situation and they need to make a purchase and they make that purchase. And then there's a litany of benefits of having used a Capital One credit card to make their purchase. And at the end of the commercial, Samuel L. Jackson will look at the camera and he'll ask a question. And the question is, what's in your wallet? What's suggested by the 30-second spot is that the conclusion of your situation will either be positive or negative, not based upon the circumstances before you in your purchase, but rather by that which you have in your pocket. The idea is if you have the right credit card in your pocket, your financial transaction will come out great irregardless of the circumstance. So what Capital One is saying is don't go with those other guys. You need a Capital One credit card because all that matters, the thin line between success and failure financially is what is in your Wallet. Now, I didn't come here this morning to lecture you about what credit card you should get. As a matter of fact, if you're young, I'm telling you, you should be very leery of creditors who promise you roses and happiness. Uh, you're not in the crediting business because you want people to be financially savvy. Uh, the same way you're not in the casino business to lose money. Anytime you gamble, the odds are stacked against you. Amen? That's how they finance those big old buildings in Las Vegas. Everyone thinks they're going to be a winner. You don't build it that big and keep it that large by everybody winning, wink, wink. <laughs> you need a steady stream of losers to keep financing that situation. I want to tell you this. It is suggested that what's in your wallet will be your safety and your security. And I want to argue it's not what's in your wallet that matters. But there is a good question to be posed about who's in your boat. Look at the sea in Scripture. Water, this representation of life, sailing, this image of journeys. And you see throughout Scripture, water plays a significant role to the Hebrew reader 
Because water is so powerful, water is so mysterious. Sailing oftentimes speaks to the journey of life because sailing can be smooth and sometimes life is smooth and sailing can be choppy and sometimes life is choppy and the difficulty within going into the waters is you don't know when it's going to be smooth and it's going to be choppy and many of you can testify, you've lived long enough to know this now, you don't know when life is going to be smooth and when it's going to be choppy. One moment you can be sailing along, cruising through your life with the sun shining on your face, enjoying the sound of the seagulls circling the mast of your ship, and the next thing you know, clouds begin crowding in, and in a matter of moments, rains are pouring, there's a torrential downpour, and there are waves all over the place. Dear sisters and brothers, you can wake up any given morning feeling mighty good and fancy free, and by the end of one doctor's appointment, have a catastrophe on your hand that you don't know how you're going to navigate, and when the waves of life hit you, the question is not what is in your wallet. When life's difficulties stare you in the face, the question before you is not what is in your wallet. The question before you is not how much money is in your bank account. When the waves of life toss you to and fro, the question is who is on your boat? And here we see Jonah, this wayward prophet, gone AWOL, trying to run his own way. Pastor Heath preached it well last Sunday. Jonah's running from his calling. The voice of God has directed him in a particular way to a particular space and place to a particular people, but he does not desire to go there, so he runs away from God's will for his life. And Jonah ain't the only one who's ever ran from God. I've got a little testimony around that myself. And I may not be alone in this house this morning as I say, I may not be the only one in this room who's ran from the voice of God. God has called you to something. God has instructed us to do something. And we can be rebellious. We can go our own way. We can try to escape. But there's a, there's a warning here uh, in the text. Um, the late uh, Bible expositor A. Lewis Patterson once said that when you read the story of Jonah, verse 3 and 4 are significant in that first chapter. Listen to verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. That means the ship was going down. Do you notice that rhythm of direction that happens as soon as Jonah tries to run from the will and the direction of God? It says in the text, listen to verse 3, as soon as he tries to flee the very face of God, he went down to Joppa. After he went down to Joppa, he paid a fare and at the ship he found and went down into the ship. And by verse 4, a storm is breaking out and it says it's going to break up the ship and now the ship is going down. Do you hear that? Down, 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 down. Whenever we attempt to escape the will and the way of our loving creator and our faithful God, we're going down. When a man abandons his family, he's going down. When we walk out on our marriage vows, we're going down. When we don't stay with our children and love them and care for them, we're going down. I don't care how much money the enemy shows you, you're going down. I don't care the new people he puts in your life, you're going down. Because Satan's angle is to send you down. As soon as Jonah 
turns his back on God, he goes down and it's men's Sunday. So I need to say this flat footed because I've spoken to enough young men who are abandoning their families and they tell me I'm going to find something better out here. I'm tired of this woman. I'm tired of these children. Pastor Brown, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be here anymore. And I tell them, brother, here's what the word says. And they say, I don't want to hear the word. And then I have to let them know if you make this decision, you've been warned because henceforth, you're now going to go down. And to the man I've spoken to, to every individual I've seen do it, they ride high for about three to four months. And then it starts going down. And it don't take long for the enemy to take you down. Jonah goes down, down, down. And this is why the most difficult moments of life We've got to hold on to Jesus. Because let me tell you something. The storm may be raging now, but without Jesus, it's going to get a whole lot worse. It may be difficult in life now, but if you abandon the Savior, it's going to get a whole heap worse. Jonah goes down, down, down. And then we find him on this ship with these mariners with these sailors. This is where our text opens on verse 4. Verse 4 reads, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah jumps on this boat to Tarsus, and as they begin to sail in their appointed direction, they encounter what I'd like to call this morning a divine storm. What is a divine storm? Listen to verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The Lord is the source of the storm. Do you see how explicit the text is there? There cannot be confusion within the narrative of Jonah as to how the storm began because the text makes it clear God did it. It's a divine storm in the course of his life. I've been preaching long enough to know when the sanctuary is going to get quiet. As I write the sermon, I can highlight the quiet points. I can tell when folk going to say amen, and I can tell when they just going to be looking at me. This is the just looking at me part. God is not only responsible for those things we enjoy in life, but what if I told you that the hand of God is also at work in the storms? What if I told you that the presence of God is not necessarily always validated by sunshine? But sometimes the presence of God is demonstrated by rain. This is a divinely orchestrated storm in the life of Jonah. Who did it? God did it. Our God did it. Our loving and faithful and kind and gracious and merciful God sent a storm. And it was all in his plan. God sends a storm, a divine storm into the life of Jonah as Jonah is running from his face. A divine storm is a storm that has the hand of God behind it. In today's text, it's easy, eager to make clear to us that the storm is not the result of some natural atmospheric condition, but is the product of a divine decision. God and God alone is the source of this storm that Jonah encounters. The reality is hard for some of us to swallow, 
like the cod liver oil my mama used to give me a spoonful at a time as a little boy. It's hard to get down, but it's good for us. And what's the lesson here? The lesson is that God, by his hand, has the sovereignty and the right to send and use storms in our lives. God will use his hand in the trouble of our lives. And this is what I call grown folk Christianity. Not kitty Christianity. This isn't playground following Jesus. This isn't the easy stuff. This isn't the teeter-totter Christianity. This isn't monkey bars Christianity. This is grown folk faith. Because grown folk have to admit that sometimes God chooses to work in your life in the most difficult circumstances you encounter, that God works through storms in our lives. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, give you a clue that this is coming. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The scripture says, because God is sovereign and because God is in control, the saint even counts it joy when they go through difficult times because in the difficulty, God is making me better. Even when it's hard, God is making me better. Even when it's difficult, he's conforming me to the image of his son. And this is why you got to run on, as my grandma Lindsay would say, and see what the end is going to be. Because God is doing a work in you, even when it seems like God isn't working, even when it seems like God isn't moving, even when it appears that God is not speaking, even when I cannot see the sunshine, God is working on me. God is making me what God would have me to be even through the storms that I encounter. God sends a storm. Many of us can testify. When we come out of the storm, and when we look back at the storm clouds in our life, as we reflect on those moments of trial, when you get a little distance past it, have you ever had a moment where you look back you can quote the words of Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. We don't like that scripture a whole lot. That's the kind of stuff my, my big mama used to talk all the time. And I say, who wants to be afflicted? And she said, baby, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I went through cancer. Baby, it was good for me that I had a hip replacement. It was good for me that I went through chemo. It was good for me because through it all, I learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I learned to trust in God. Through it all, I learned to depend on his holy word. All I'm trying to tell you is a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. You don't know what the faithfulness of God is until you have to stretch your face before the faithfulness of God and say, God, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. That's when faith is real. It's when we move through the storm and we see the faithfulness of our God. We learn to trust in him through the storms of life. God sends a storm. 
But immediately when God sends the storm, you see the sailors take action. Here it is. The mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten them. The ESV, where we read today, calls them mariners. Um, if you read in the New International Version, it will call them sailors. What I want us to hear is these are seafarers. These are not simply individuals who hopped in a boat one day not knowing much about what they were doing, just bobbed along to catch a few fish and get right back to the bank. These individuals are making their living by carrying cargo and personnel to certain destinations. These are men who know what they're doing because this is their stock and trade. This is how they feed their families. The reason that I underscore the professionalism and the experience of these individuals is because it lets us know how violent this storm was, that even they become afraid. Certainly these men have encountered storms before and they've made their way through them they have protocols on the boat as to how you're going to make it from the sea back to the shore if a storm breaks out. These are professional, experienced, purposeful individuals who are inside of their trade, but this storm is so great it says it's threatening to break up the boat. And as it's threatening to break up the boat, they take specific action. When this moment comes, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. Here's their first action. The phrase cried out to their God indicates that there were many men with many different gods on the boat. Did you hear that? It doesn't say they all cried out to God. It says each of them cried out to his God, which means we have a situation where there are many individuals on the boat with many different gods, and everyone's crying out to a name of a different God. And this is what happens when we find ourselves in storms. When we find ourselves in storms, we find out the strength of the gods that we've been following. I mentioned this briefly yesterday to the men, but I'll repeat it again here. Uh, today, we find that we have many idols, many gods that we are following that are vying for our attention. Some of us have have this God of wealth, this God of money. We go to work and we try and build all the capital that we can because our safety and our refuge is found in our bank account and in our stocks and in our bonds that we possess and we hold on to. Some of us find our gods in relationships. We're looking for the right relationship, jumping from here and there and everywhere, hoping that so-and-so cares about me, so-and-so likes me, so-and-so notices me. Sweet Lord Jesus, I feel like I'm preaching about middle school right now. Oh Lord, have mercy. We're so young and we're writing notes. Do you like me? Check one, yes or no. And there's always some girl who don't know the Holy Ghost and she creates her own box and says, maybe, Lord have mercy. I used to hate that mess. What you mean by maybe, girl? I gave you two options. Yes or no, yes or no. Are you going to the dance? Yes or no. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Lord have mercy. And then I got married and find out it don't change. I'd be like, baby, you want this or this? I don't know, maybe I want something else. I don't know what that means, girl. Goodness gracious. I'm just a man trying to make it. I feel like I'm in sixth grade all over again. With my wife and her third options that I did not offer. Some of us, our God is relationship. Some of us, our God is our pride. Some of us, our God is our personal vanity. Social media has helped us quite a bit with this. You can fall in love with yourself every day on your phone, taking pictures sending pictures out, seeing who's going to like them, who's going to call you this, who says you're popular, who says you're acceptable, who says you're pretty. Personal vanity, for some of us, that's our God. For some of us, our God is the titles that we hold. For some of us, our God is recreation. We just want to have a good time. For some of us, our God is travel. We want to see all the sights and do all the things. Nothing wrong with seeing the sights, nothing wrong with doing the things, nothing wrong with watching a ball game and having a good time. But I need to tell you this, if you put that before God, and if that becomes your God, 
got breaking news. Football, baseball, basketball, hockey, you name the sport. When the storms come, you can cry out to it, but it can't do anything for you. All the money we've been spending in our jobs, working overtime and double overtime and triple overtime and quadruple overtime, not spending time with our family, neglecting all of our relationships. When the storm breaks out, all that money you've been saving can't help you. All of them are crying out to their gods, but their gods are impotent. Their gods are not powerful to do anything for them. Notice first, when they find out the ship is breaking up and with all their professionalism, they can't change the situation. First, they all begin screaming to their respective gods. And after that doesn't help, they take another action simultaneously. Here it is. You're going to see it right here in the text. So, you know, I'm not making it up. The second sentence in, at the beginning of verse five says, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They were trying to get the ship lighter, which lets us know that the waves were crashing at quite a rate, that they were dumping into the boat, and they will threaten to capsize the boat if they take enough water on board. You lighten the cargo so the ship can sit up and ride higher on the water. If you ride higher on the water and you can point the ship in the direction of the wave, you have a chance to be able to ride over the wave and cascade back down. If you're bogged down and you can't get up over the wave, you're taking water on, and you can only take water on for so long. So they're crying out out to their gods, and that doesn't seem to be making a difference. They're crying out to their pride, crying out to their relationships, crying out to their bank accounts, crying out to all of these different things, their pride, their personal vanity, and it's not making a difference. So now there's another approach that enters into the text. They start throwing things overboard. Basically, they are repositioning the cargo of the ship, hoping that if I could put things in the right places and get the right things off the ship, somehow that will help me to survive the storm. And this is what some of us do. We cry out to our gods that are not the God of all creation. We cry out to our false gods when the storm breaks out, and then we begin throwing cargo overboard. Some of us begin moving things around, hoping that at some level, my personal decisions and discipline with the construct of my life and how it's built will help me to fix this. What do I mean? I mean to say this. I know everyone's going into a new year. Here we are in the first month. New year, new me. I've heard that quite a bit now. We make all of our resolutions because I'm going to solve all my problems from last year by my sheer willpower. If I could just get to the gym more, it'll all be better. If I could just highlight my hair some, it'll all be better. If I can just find another job, it'll all be better. If I can just find the right treatment, it'll all be better. And ultimately, what we're doing is moving the furniture around on the Titanic as the ship is going down. Throwing things overboard will not change this situation because it's a divine storm. Brothers and sisters, I need to tell you, if your marriage is in trouble, buying a bigger house in a better neighborhood won't fix it. Amen. If the decisions of your past yet haunt you at night, or the experiences of your past still haunt you in life, drowning yourself in an alcohol bottle each day ain't going to fix it. If you lack direction in your life, watching today's game and cheering with your buddies ain't going to fix it. If you have a low view of your own self-worth and self-value, dear sister, a relationship with the right man or losing 20 more pounds won't fix it. You're just throwing cargo, but the storm's going to keep waging. They did everything that they could. 
They cried out to their gods. They threw cargo overboard. And verse 5 lets us know that none of it worked. So what did they do when none of it worked? Here's what they did. Um, and let me read you verses 5 and 6. And this is, this is our last lap here. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own god. Then they, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship and the sea to lighten it for them. 5b, but Jonah, who had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They've cried out to every other God on the boat, and that didn't work. They've thrown all the cargo off the boat. They've changed their situation in life, and that didn't work. The boat is about to break up, and then they realize something. There's someone on the boat who's been sleeping through all of this. The text tells us what happened when they figured that out. The captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah is the center of this entire episode, and he has the nerve, the audacity, the unmitigated gall to be asleep. All of this drama centers around Jonah and running from the face of his God, and he's sleeping through the entire moment. Um, okay, before I get to my final point, let me give you my sub point. I'm going to throw this in for free. This is for all my teenagers who are here. Life lesson. The people you allow into your life have an effect on your life. The friends you choose matter. It appears you're just having a good time, but I'm telling you, the people you allow into your life have an impact on your life. Their values, their decisions, their direction influences where you are going. And I want to say this to those who are still in their school years because you need to hear this. You have to pick friends wisely. They allowed one person on their boat who was wayward and it caused a storm for everybody involved. And that's why you got to pick the right friends because friends will either encourage you in the right direction or they will celebrate you into the wrong direction. I didn't even mean to say that, but I just thought it was worth it because I see some teenagers around here. Got to pick who you put on your boat. But that's the question. Who's on your boat? It's intriguing how the text closes itself out here. The captain we find standing in verse 6 over Jonah and says, hey, you sleeper, what's this about? You need to get up. You need to cry out to your God. Prayerfully, your God will have some type of power because none of our gods can do anything about it. We've thrown all the cargo over that we have to throw over. There's nothing left to do, and the ship is breaking up, and one individual is sleeping. What is it that you can do? I can't go on from here because that's all the text I was given. Boom, that's it. <laughs> that's the end of my sermon. I couldn't come with a good conclusion. That's it. Amen. May the Lord watch between me and thee. But can I tell you something? I pose the question. Capital One wants to know what's in your wallet. And my question is, who's on your boat? Because life will give us storms. There will be difficult moments. And many of the storms in life that we experience are divine by nature. God's hand is all in your storm, and God is using it to make you better, to conform you to the image of his son. 
And after we've cried out to every false god that we have, and after we've rearranged and thrown all the cargo we have in the middle of a storm, the question becomes, who's on your boat? Because the captain goes down and finds a man sleeping, jostles the sleeping man awake and says, we're all about to die. You need to cry out to your God. And that's the end of the story. Boom. That's all the scripture Neil and Brown got. I'm finished. That's all my preaching. Close my Bible. But wouldn't you know, there's a parallel story to this. Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells his disciples, let's cross the lake of Galilee. Sisters and brothers, as they cross the lake of Galilee, it says, a storm came out onto the sea as they were making their journey. The disciples have done everything that they can do to resolve the storm that they found themselves in that they did not anticipate, dear sisters and brothers. And then they realize someone's on the boat sleeping. So much like this captain, they make their way to the bottom of the boat and they jostle Jesus awake and they say, Lord, are you going to let us perish? Let me show you the difference between Jonah and Jesus. This is why it matters who's on your boat. According to Mark's narrative, Jesus wakes up and from his sleeping position, Mark doesn't say Jesus ever stood up. Mark leaves Jesus right there laying down because Mark's Jesus is full of mighty power. What I'm saying is Jesus woke up, but according to Mark, Jesus didn't get up. Jesus, while he's laying on his pillow rolls over and says peace be still and the waves lay down like an obedient child and the rain cease and become quiet like a toddler that's just been fed because that's the type of power that Jesus has in the storms in our life Jonah was in a struggle with his God and his struggle brought the difficulty and the wrath of God to the boat and to the lives of these sailors but the disciples found out if you got the right one on your boat you can weather any storm because he is the God of nature he is the God of the rain. He is the God of the thunder. He is the God of the lightning. He is the God of the waters. He is the God who can get you safely from shore to shore simply with his word. And my prayer for you is if you found yourself in a storm this morning, I don't want you to throw a whole bunch of cargo. That ain't going to make no difference. Stop crying out to the things that haven't even helped you yet. What you need on your boat to survive the storms of life is someone who has the power to look your storm in the face and say, peace be still and it lays down so the question this morning is simple who's on your boat there will be storms it's an inescapable reality of life and for me to get up here and tell you you're not going to have storms would be pulpit negligence Life has difficulties. Life has trials. Life has storms. You aren't in the first marriage that got hard. You hear what I'm saying? Your home is not the first one that's had two different opinions, two different views that are having trouble corresponding with one another. You aren't the first one to have a wayward child. You aren't the first one to pray for a wayward grandchild. You are not the first. But the question is, have you placed your hand in the hand of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who brings prodigal sons home? Who pours out his love between two broken people who don't think they can walk any further together? Have you placed it in his hands? Because the difference 
between making it to your destination and dying in the storm is who's on your boat. That's my plea for you this morning. That if you haven't made the decision to allow the Lord Jesus Christ onto your boat to lead your journey, this is your time to do it. And dear sister and dear brother, possibly you say, yes, I accepted Christ some time ago. But I've been trying to lead this journey my, my own self. I've been the captain of my own ship. It's becoming too difficult. It looks like it's going to break up. It's going to fall apart, and I've tried everything I can do in my own strength to save it. This is the day for you to give your journey back to Jesus and allow him to lead you safely to the other side of the shore. We'll continue in the journey of Jonah, but right here seemed like a good place to ask you the question, who's on your boat? And to let you know there are storms, but with Jesus Christ, you can make it because he is the master of every storm you encounter. God bless you. Amen. Would you pray with me? I know the Lord's spoken this morning. Hopefully you're asking that question that Neilan has proposed to us this morning. Who's on your boat? If you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and have a closing song, an invitation hymn. And today, if you need to place your trust in Jesus, uh, I'll be here. Love to receive you and to pray for you and pray with you. For the vast majority of us, we, we know the Lord, and that question, who is in your boat, is even more important. Because maybe as uh, God has spoken to you this morning, He's revealed things that you are clinging on to that are not the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And church family, maybe some of us just need to have a time either there in the seat or here at front at this altar just to kneel and confess that to the Lord. Say, Lord, today I place my full trust in you. I don't know how God is speaking to you this morning, but I know he's speaking. Maybe you've been visiting Crossroads for some time and the Lord has said to you this morning, you need the boat of fellowship of people who are like-minded friends, as Neilan said, who are going to pull you closer to Jesus, not further away. And maybe you've been visiting for some time and the Lord has said, you need to be in the boat of Crossroads Baptist Church and plug in right here. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I know you have already. And now that you've spoken, would you help us to be obedient? We don't want to be like Jonah, running the opposite direction from what it is that you're saying to us today. So I pray you'd speak to us and help us to follow through this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have that song of invitation. I'll be here at the front to receive. If you want to pray this morning, if you need to grab a spouse or family member and you want to come pray. Church, this is altars open for us to do that this morning. Whatever decision the Lord's laid on your heart, I pray that you would be obedient today as Joey leads us in our closing hymn.
We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.